This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary treks we are your official star trek books and comics podcast here on the trek fm network and it is your destiny to be listening to us right now it's your singular destiny i'm bruce gibson thank you for joining us and with me as he always is is dan gunther yay hi bruce happy to be here (laughs) you know what it's 2020 how crazy is that? It is, isn't it? It's freaking weird. 2020. Gosh, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> We're all old. <laughs> what was it? Somebody said 1990 is now the same distance away from us as 2050 is. Oh, right. Ooh, ooh, don't don't say that. That's freaking <laughs> me out right now. That's really freaking me out. Yep. 2050. Gosh, add 30 to your age. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't want to think about it. Hi, I'm uh, Betty White. No, I'm not quite that old, even 50, 30 years from now. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's, oh, yeah. Hey, but you know what? It's a blessing every year that we get, that we're alive. Definitely. So, you Absolutely. Go. And you know what? Each year we get closer to the time of Star Trek. That's true. I I'm I'm worried that we might actually be in the mirror universe though, but I'm I'm still holding out hope that maybe we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, we have a little bit of mirror universe news coming up here soon. But our feature today is the novel A Singular Destiny by Keith R.A. DeCandido. This book came out eleven years ago, and uh he's gonna be here on the show to talk about it. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we do that, in our news, we have four things that we want to cover. We got, well, speaking of cover, we got a cover. We got the cover of the novel Picard, The Last Best Hope. And this is by Una McCormick coming out in February, February 11th. And uh, yeah, it's Jean-Luc Picard wearing some jacket of something and holding out a badge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say, I love this cover. Like, there's the moody lighting, the expression on Picard's face, holding the the com badge up. We see the kind of the backside of the com badge. 
I really like this cover. It's simple, but I think it's effective. I like it too. And you know what? I was just thinking as you're saying that, that this is the first Star Trek novel, original Star Trek novel that we're getting with a new image of Patrick Stewart on it. That's true. Yep. It's uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> it is. How weird is that? Uh, so yeah, really exciting. And of course, we'll probably have Una on the show when we review that novel. But yeah, there's uh, um, the cover, and I think you have a little bit of the brief summary or uh, synopsis for it. Yeah, there is a back cover blurb, and it says. A thrilling novel leading into the new CBS series, Una McCormick's The Last Best Hope introduces you to brand new characters featured in the life of beloved Star Trek captain Jean-Luc Picard, widely considered to be one of the most popular and recognizable characters in all of science fiction. So, wow, talk about telling us nothing (laughs) about what this book (laughs) is about. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's about Picard, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they are keeping under wraps exactly what's going on. But it sounds like we're going to get maybe uh, some backstory or something to do with some of the new characters in the show, maybe. I... Well, That's yeah, because guess from that. if they're not going to say much of anything about it, it's because they're probably trying to protect it. it it's some spoilers to the series. So mm-hmm. uh, that makes me even a little more excited. Definitely. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, not least because Una McCormick's one of my absolute favorite Star Trek authors. And I know I say that about just about every Star Trek author, but I love her books. She just, man, she can write a good character piece. So I'm looking forward to this big time. Me too. Well, that's not the only thing. So something else is coming out in March. It's Star Trek Picard Official Collector's Edition hardcover. It's a special edition by Titan Books coming out March 24th. And by the way, when we say these dates, they are subject to change. This is a deluxe collector's edition offering a behind-the-scenes guide to the brand new Star Trek TV show following the adventures of Patrick Stewart's fan favorite star trek character jean-luc picard i'm surprised i thought patrick stewart's fan favorite star trek character was william Riker. oh wait they're not saying it's patrick stewart's favorite oh i thought they were saying it was his favorite character (laughs) because you know i think his favorite character is will Riker. but i was this kind of surprised and happy about this because i wasn't expecting to get a behind the scenes book so quickly after the series premieres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's by Titan books. And, and what they tend to do is uh, it seems they, they kind of bundle articles about the show behind the scenes articles uh, from the magazines together in a book format. And this is probably what they're doing here, but uh, they're always worth picking up and having in your library is kind of a neat little snapshot of this uh, period in time when we've got this new Star Trek series on the way. Uh, I love behind the scenes stuff. So this is always a lot of fun to kind of leaf through and, and pick little details out of. Yeah. And the cover even says it has a hundred pages to Mm -hmm. it. So it's pretty hefty and Hey, it's uh, Picard wearing that same, outfit he's wearing in the novel (laughs) yeah so in the novel he's looking right at the camera right and this one he's looking kind of just to his right of the camera as if to say what you want to take another photo i i already took a perfect one for the book what what what's the matter with you (laughs) that's the look i'm getting from his face here anyway (laughs) it's the look you're getting from mine now too (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's exciting. Hey, but you know what? March has something else coming out, and it is a new novel by Christopher L. Bennett. It's a TOS novel, The Higher Frontier, and we got a cover for that. And it's beautiful. It's blue, which is my favorite color. Well, the images are blue, but it looks like it's a some kind of rocket going across a planetoid, and there's like a planet with rings in the background. I, I, I want that as a poster. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, if you look closely at that ship, it's it's an Andorian ship, like the style from Enterprise, if you look really get like kind of a top-down view on it. And this is really frustrating to me because there's a, a second ship, I think, but it's Wait, kind of really? like behind oh. the A in the Star Trek. Oh, yeah, because you see the... um The front of it. I Yeah, I don't know if it's another... Wait. Andorian ship or if it's a different kind of ship i can't uh, uh, it's frustrating because i, I want to see it but it's behind that I'm darn i'm not a. sure if it is or not yeah <laughs> okay well anyway doesn't this take place after the motion picture I yes it's uh heard. set during the the motion picture kind of post tmp time period there um that excites me yeah because christopher bennett has a lot of experience writing in that era and that's kind of one of his niches that he likes to explore a bit so uh, definitely excited to revisit that period as well I, I love what they've done with this cover they've completely kind of redesigned the look and now star trek is kind of going up the side of the cover instead of the top uh man i think this is going to be really eye-catching on the shelf i'm really looking forward to this Absolutely. Yeah. And don't you have a blurb for this one? I do have a blurb for this. So <clears throat> it says an all new Star Trek movie era adventure featuring James T. Kirk investigating the massacre of a telepathic minority. Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise confront a terrifying new threat, faceless armored hunters whose extra dimensional technology makes them seemingly unstoppable. Kirk must team with the powerful telepath Miranda Jones and the enigmatic Medusans to take on these merciless killers in an epic battle that will reveal the true faces of both enemy and ally. Dun, dun, yes. dun. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. So bringing some elements from TOS, Miranda Jones and the Medusans from the uh, episode, Is There in Truth No Beauty? So that's kind of cool. I, I like when they tie back to things that happen during the series and stuff. Me too. I definitely am like totally stoked for this one because we don't have enough in that time frame, and I always want more in that time frame too. So, mm -hmm. hey, you know we're still focusing on March. There's something else from IDW coming out. It's called Star Trek Hell's Mirror, and this looks really cool because it's in the Mirror Universe. I told you in the early part of the show that there was something Mirror Universe coming up, but it's the Mirror Universe and Khan. Mm -hmm. in the mirror universe now how <laughs> exciting is that it's really cool i mean we've gotten con in the prime universe we've gotten con in the kelvin timeline now we need con in the mirror universe and then maybe we'll get con in the kelvin's mirror timeline and oh man you can't get enough con so yeah this is really cool do you think con in the mirror universe is kind of a wimp i'm hoping he's just like a really nice guy <laughs> you know? Now, it says legendary writer J.M. DeMatteis returns to Star Trek for the first time in nearly 40 years. And I looked it up, and the last thing he wrote was Star Trek number 18 in the comic series back in 1981. Wow. 
<laughs> it was in the Marvel line. It was the last issue of the Marvel line back then. And that would have been the motion picture era. Wow. Right before the Wrath of Khan came out. That's yeah, incredible. So this is his first one. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? I can't tell. I think this is this might be a one issue thing. I don't think it's a series. I haven't been able to verify that. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell with the information they've given us. So yeah, I'm not sure either. But uh, either way, man, this is going to be interesting. Something totally new. Every every time IDW comes up with something, I'm just like, where did this come from? You know. Like the whole, the Q conflict and the uh, Voyager mirror crew and now Khan in the mirror universe. Ah, I, I, it, I didn't know I needed that story, but I do. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. You definitely need that story. <laughs> so it's going to be exciting. So that's March 25th, this first issue or only issue. I'm not sure exactly. But that is coming out the end of March. And we do, we're looking at the cover and it has, you know, Khan very prominent on the cover from space seed. And then we've got a smaller Kirk and Spock from the mirror universe in there. So pretty cool. That being said, I think it's time for listener feedback. So <laughs> from our past shows. So let's look at feedback that we got for episode number 291. And this is the episode where we talked about body by Starfleet, where we had Rob Perlman on. By the way, before I even get into this, <laughs> it's now, this is a perfect time to read comments about exercising because we're into a new year. Mm-hmm. And I, I was telling Dan that I've gained the weight back that I had 10 years ago. So it's time to lose it. I'm now on a diet. So I need to exercise too. So, so anyway, the first comment we have is from Clayton Huston. He says, taking two of my favorite things and mashing them together. So I guess that means Star Trek and exercise. Well, see, for me, that's chocolate and peanut butter, but uh, hey, you do you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, same, same. Oh my gosh, same. Uh, Yeah, Star Trek's a favorite, exercise is not for me. So I'm going to try to make exercise my favorite now. (laughs) I like it. Well, Justin Ozer says, I've been exercising through walking for the last year and a half, and I've averaged 4.7 miles a day this year. The 47 reference is completely accidental. Is it, though? Is it? Anyway, (laughs) that means there are times when I'm watching Star Trek while walking back and forth in my living room to get in my steps. It's an interesting experience doing this because I'm a bit closer to the TV and I get to see scenes from several different perspectives as I walk around the room. This is great, Justin. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Body by Starfleet sounds fantastic, and I really enjoyed the interview. I was convinced to buy the book partway through the interview, as it sounds like a lot of fun, and I know there's more I can do in my exercise besides walking. It should be arriving to me tomorrow. Thanks. And then we got a follow-up that the book then arrived. So that's awesome. Now, Justin, regarding you walking around the room and seeing Star Trek from different perspectives, just imagine what that will be like when eventually we're watching Star Trek on the holodeck and you can actually see it from like different three-dimensional perspectives in the, on, on the sets. That, that would be Ooh, cool. I like that. Hey, you know what? That would really help my exercising. If I went to a holodeck, played Star Trek, 
and Klingons start chasing me around. And that's how I get my exercise because Klingons are chasing me and I'm just running through the decks of this Enterprise or something like that. Perfect. Or you could totally just take on a, 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 a character in a famous episode. So for some reason, you saying that just reminded me of like Beale and Loki from Let That Be Your Last <laughs> yes. Battlefield running, chasing each other through the Enterprise. And I would run just like that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the way they run is so funny because it's just doesn't even look natural. But I think because the director probably told them, don't run too fast because you'll be in and out of frame in like a second. So you've got to kind of <laughs> slow it down and just. Uh... <laughs> It's hilarious. Uh, Kimberly Lawler says, this was a fun interview to listen to. Thanks. I really, that was her saying thanks, not me. I really don't love to exercise, but exercise plus Star Trek could be a way to make it a bit more palatable. The naming of exercise moves in this book had me laughing quite a lot. And yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to challenge everyone. This is our New Year's re resolution to all those who are looking to be healthier I want you to come up with a new exercise or an existing exercise, whatever, and then give it a Star Trek name and let us know what it is. Definitely. I want to hear those. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> all right. So that's all the comments we have there. But you know what? We're going to give you a bonus because it's the new year. We're going to do our listener feedback for episode 292, where it was about Dead Endless, the Star Trek Discovery novel. And we had Dave Gallander on that one. Okay, so one of the comments we got from Andrea Boot says, read it in a day, loved it. Whoa, yes. Hey, you know what? You can tell somebody loves a book if they read it in a day. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I was a little disappointed in that myself. Like if I'm really into a book and I read it really, really fast, then I'm like, oh, darn, it's done. And, and it, you know, it was such a good book, but it didn't, I didn't get to stay with it for days. I read it all at once, but, no, but I've definitely done that. I remember the first time I read a Doctor Who novel was on a plane from Atlanta to Seattle, and I read it all on the plane in that trip. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, Janessa Ciarda says, I really wasn't expecting a giant multidimensional tardigrade for a psychopomp. It was trippy, and the book overall was trippy. Definitely agree with that. I particularly loved the focus on the bridge crew and giving Bryce and Reese first names. Landry was as unpleasant as her prime counterpart was, but it was fantastic some background is given on it. Also, as someone who used to read a lot of LGBT romance and erotica, I thought the romantic feelings between Prime Culber and Alt Stamets were handled really well, even if it was only for four hours and book time. Thank you. Thanks for that comment. Absolutely. Um, I think... Reese was given a name in the show at some point. I don't know if it was ever said, but it might've been in a script or something like that too. So, but uh, yeah, I, I love that we got that focus on some of those characters that we didn't before. And Justin Ozer says, great interview. And I absolutely love this novel. The surprise in the setup is something I suspected a bit early on, but wasn't sure of it until the, Landry reference. I love these kind of stories and the possibilities they open up from the fantastic character work for Stamets and Colbert to building out the main characters in new and delightful ways to seeing more of the bridge crew to fleshing out what we know of the mycelial network to the great new alien species. This novel was delightful from beginning to end. Dave Gallagher gave such amazing insights in this interview. 
This was my first Dave Gallander full-length Trek novel. I've previously read an SCE novella he co-authored, and this one already makes him one of my favorite Trek authors. I give the novel 10 out of 10 cute tardigrades who speak in riddles. <laughs> hey, yeah, Justin, I gave... I, I Well, because we usually don't do the, our review scores when we have an author on, but I did give it a 5 out of 5 on Goodreads, so... Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. I did uh, actually a, um, on my website, treklet.com. I always do a wrap up of the year in Treklet and I award a, a, a book for being uh, the best Star Trek novel of the year. This year was really tough, but I did end up giving it to uh, Dead Endless. So I was oh, a wow. huge fan of that novel. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. And finally, Reese Morgan says, I've just started reading it, only a few chapters, but very good so far. I haven't actually listened to this episode yet, but some, could someone tell me, when is this novel supposed to be set? As Tilly is an ensign but hasn't started the command training program, it must be in season two, right? Although the Red Angel stuff took complete priority, so I don't really see where they would have time for this story. Maybe if I keep reading, it will be made clear, but I'm finding it a distracting frustration. If anyone can clear this up, that would be super. Well, I'm, I'm sure you've read by now and you know where the story is going, but uh, um, it is a bit of a uh, spoiler, so I'm not going to outright say exactly when the book is set, but uh, suffice it to say, you will find out and it will be an interesting surprise. All right. Well, that's all the comments that we have. And that was for two different episodes. So that was awesome. Keep those coming. And you'll see this show posted in the Babel Conference if you want to make any comments about what you're going to hear on this feature with Keith R.A. DeCandido. So stick around for that. And uh, I'd say, why wait? Let's just go ahead and do the feature now. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So back in November, we did three episodes focusing on the Destiny trilogy. We did book one, book two, book three. So what follows Destiny? Well, how about a singular Destiny? And that was a novel that came out in 2009, and it was written by Keith R.A. DeCandido. And Keith is in the house. How you doing, Keith? Hello. Hey, Keith. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, so I want to start things off right away with, obviously, you read the Destiny trilogy when it came out. <laughs> so I read it before it came out, actually, but yes. Ah, uh, before it came out. So how did the, pros- write the book I wrote. <laughs> um, exactly, so the, how did the, that happen? The, well, okay, the... My, I mean, I knew what was happening with the Destiny trilogy anyway because David Mack happens to be one of my closest friends. Dave, Dave and I, Dave and I are are, are best buddies. We were in each other's wedding parties. Um, uh, I spent New Year's Eve with him and his wife and several of our closest friends just a couple of days ago as we record this. So you know, Dave and I talk a lot. <laughs> so I, I was fully aware of what was going to be happening in the Destiny trilogy from its earliest stages. Uh, just because Dave and I talk. Um, and in particular, uh, Dave wanted to use president Nambaco in the destiny trilogy. So he talked to me about it and wanted me to read over the, the bits with, with the president in it, um, to make sure that I got, uh, that I got her voice and her character. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that I had very few notes. On what he wrote. Uh, he, he, he absolutely nailed that character, uh, perfectly. And which I was very pleased to see. Um, 
you know, as, as I think I said when I was on here talking with you guys about articles of the Federation, I never expected Baco to appear again after articles. Um, I figured she'd be mentioned once or twice as, a, as an Easter egg, but that was it. And she became a rather important supporting character. And a lot of it is because Dave used her in the Destiny trilogy. And, um, and I, I'm always been grateful to him for that. But so, so, you know, I was kind of in on, and then, um, uh, Marco, Marco and Mar- Marco Palmieri and Margaret Clark were both, you know, working on, they edited the Destiny trilogy together. Um, at the time they were the two editors and uh, responsible for Trek fiction. And they were both then working on what was going to happen afterward. Um, and there were individual books that were going to deal with the individual crews, uh, which all came out after a single destiny. There was, there was, uh, William Leisner's losing the piece, which was going to deal with the next generation crew. Um, the, uh, I'm blanking on what the next Titan book was, but the, there was going to be another Titan book that was going to deal with, with how, uh, the aftermath, uh, from Titan's perspective. I think that was one of Christopher Bennett's books. I think that was and, uh, over uh, a torrent sea, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. yes yeah. Over a torrent sea. Thank you. And, um, uh, and Kirsten Beyer was going to be dealing with both the, the prelude and the dur- prelude during and after destiny, uh, from Voyager's perspective and in, in with full circle. Um, and, and then there was, uh, uh, but, but what, what my job was to do was to look at the big picture. Um, we just had 7,000 board cubes invade and blow the crap out of basically everything. What happens next? And in particular, Marco wanted to set up the Typhon pact, which then became, uh, the focus of, of a lot of the, uh, the post destiny fiction following the singular destiny. My part of my job was to set up the Typhon pact is this, basically an adversary to the Federation and the Klingons moving forward in the wake of the Borg invasion. So that was my job was to sort of do the big picture macro consequences of the destiny trilogy. And then the other books would look at the more micro consequences to the individual crews that had their own ongoing storylines in Titan and Voyager and next generation. Um, so, and eventually once the Typhon books started, they, they, caught deep space nine up as well. Um, plus we had the Aventine crew to play with as well. So, so that was my job. That was, that was the task that Marco set before me, which was, uh, to basically, uh, to do, to do the big picture consequences. So that was, that was the genesis of the book. Hmm. So there you are. You're sending, okay, how do I follow destiny? This three novel, epic thing. I mean, I would think you would be thinking about different ideas. Like, should I go light? Should I go dark should I be heavy what was your thought process at this point? uh well see the thing is this is this is this was right in my wheelhouse i am much more interested in the aftermath of conflict than the conflict itself um i kind of already done this ironically with another david max story uh in the stars of the corps of engineers series we did a uh dave wrote a two-part story called wildfire mm-hmm. in which we killed like half the crew <laughs> including one of the one of the main characters and I was not interested so much in that story as I was what happens next. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in family than I am the best of both worlds. If you know what I mean, from a writing perspective, I mean, from a, from a viewer's perspective, I like all of it, but um, when it comes to what I want to work on, the, the aftermath of a conflict is of much more interest to me than the conflict itself as a writer. What, you know, what happens after the war, what happens, you know, what's the recovery process like? Um, so, so this is exactly, you know, basically starting the work of cleaning up the mess Dave made was, it was pretty much what I wanted to write anyway. That was of much more interest to me than 
than than what he did. Um, so I, I jumped into this with both feet. I was I I'm, I like to know what the consequences are. That's um, you know. Uh, stories uh, everybody's favorite story is notwithstanding people don't just live happily ever after there's more stuff that happens afterward um the 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 question i like to ask as a writer is and then what happened so um so so this was exactly the sort of book i wanted to write um and and i i went i tried to go both light and dark because i always do there's there's a limit as to how dark i'm ever going to get it's just not in my nature but um, I mean, but having said that, there's some dark crap in the book. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the 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 my favorite parts to write in that book were the interstitial bits between the chapters, where where I just looked at different and different ends of the universe and different aspects and and different responses to the to the Borg invasion. Um, and some of that got really dark. Um, but uh, it, it, I mean, I didn't. I, I didn't want it to be completely depressing because a it's Star Trek and Star Trek is all about being a hopeful future, even in the face of, of horrific tragedy. Um, and part of it is the idea of rebuilding towards something and trying to put everything back together. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to downplay the tragedy either. So I'm, I'm glad you brought those up. The kind of interludes in between. I really loved those parts of the book and uh, I had a real sense of, um, I, th- I think the first time I had read this novel, I hadn't read World War Z, um, but reading it okay. now after having read World War Z, I kind of get that same feeling that it's like this assemblage <laughs> of documents and interviews and, and that sort of thing that really paints the the picture of the wider Federation and the wider part of the yeah. galaxy at large, which really opens up that world. I thought that was really brilliant. One of the favorite things that I read when I read Watchmen, when I was in uh, I was in college, I think, when I read Watchmen, and the the, the bits at the end of each issue, they, it started with the excerpts from, from Night Owls, the original Night Owls autobiography, Under the Hood, and then they did, and then each issue had something else, you know, magazine articles and, and interviews and, and scientific papers and all sorts of other weird stuff. And I, I love that. That just, it adds so much wonderful texture to the universe. Um, and, and that's what I was going for there. I didn't, I, yeah, there's, there's always larger consequences and there's always smaller consequences. And in particular, I want, you know, I wanted to show how this was affecting people all over the place, uh, good and bad. Um, and, and that, so yeah, that was, that was try, trying to get a sense because it's, it's really easy in, in any, you know, uh, ongoing dramatic thing, you get very insular because you're focused on your main characters. You know, you're doing next generation stories. So you're focused on Picard and the enterprise and their, and that crew. You're doing a Titan story and you're focused on that ship. Discovery is focused on that ship. You know, uh, New space nine is focused on that station. The, it's all the same group of people that you're focused on because they're your main characters and you're supposed to. And, and I really wanted to expand out that focus to everybody else, you know, what, what, because this was a major event. What effect is this going to have on some dude on Deneva, on, you know, person serving on as transporter chief on random ship? Um, you know, what, what does that mean for, for all these different people? What, how does it affect the economies or, or the socioeconomic structure of all these worlds that have been devastated or all these worlds that are taking in refugees from the world that have been devastated? Um, suddenly, you know, De- uh, Capella needs to produce a lot more top line cause they leave in a lot more of it now. Um, stuff like that. Those, those sorts of, of, you know, real world consequences and what it means for the average everyday person 
and it makes that world feel that much more real too. Like you, you yeah. put, you picture yourself in that situation as, you know, random citizen on planet B, you know, and how would yeah. you deal with this? You're not going to necessarily be some big Starfleet hero. Uh, you're going to be you. Right. And I, I just yeah. love how it makes it personal. And not only that, but it touches on even some of the characters or things related to the characters in this book. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a mix of things, but also there's the casualty report, um, with a whole bunch of list of names of people who've been lost to the Borg. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where this was sector 22093. <laughs> and I'm just looking through all these names and towards the end, I see, you know, like Belana Torres in there, which I thought was pretty good. Her daughter's also in here, but you know, where'd you come up with, were you just sitting there making up names and having a good time at it? <laughs> pretty much. I put several friends, several friends of mine are in there. Um, uh, and I killed, I killed all them off. Um, <laughs> and, and, and putting in, putting in Belana and morale was, was a very specific request made by Kirsten Beyer <laughs> to set nice. up full circle. Um, yes. yeah, 10 years on, I can say that I couldn't at the time. Um, mostly at the time the book came out, I was just, you'll see. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, Kirsten, Kirsten specifically asked me to put that in there. Um, I, I do remember reading that in 2009 and going, Oh, and just like, I need that Voyager novel when it comes out, what's going on, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly why we put it there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was a plan. That's <laughs> oh, there hell was. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> We, we, we like to troll our readers. It's, it's tremendous. <laughs> so, okay. So one of the uh, main characters we have in here is Sonic Pran, who is part human Vulcan, Betazoid and Bajoran. Yeah. And now he, he used to work under president Zeif and then he became a university professor and he gets recalled back in because they want him to get in talks with um, Empress Donatra and of the Imperial Romulan Senate. So I'm just curious because I found it interesting as I was reading this and I thought, I like this character, but then I thought, why did you decide to create a whole new character and not use an existing character to carry through this book? Sonic Brand is a type of character that I have been wanting to write for a very long time. Um, I, wanted and the reason why i didn't want to use an existing character is because it wasn't an existing character i thought who really quite fit this mode i wanted somebody whose superpower for lack of a better phrase is talking to people about 25 30 years ago uh back when i was on the gd online service this was back when you know we had monochrome monitors and scrolling green text and and 9600 baud modems were super fast um there was a a thing a bunch of us did in, in on Genie and the science fiction round table where we were doing sort of uh, basically writing ourselves in an adventure story where we each had some kind of superpower and everybody else gave themselves all these cool powers. My power was the ability to talk to people. There was no violence involved. There was no of, of any kind. It was all just talking. It's a very Star Trek kind of power to have. And so that's what I wanted a character where, where his specialty was talking to people and talking things through and getting them to think about things. And also somebody who just has a good instinct for, for personalities and, and interactions and politics and such. Um, he actually, well, technically, yes, he did work for Zeif. He had actually worked for, he'd advised several different presidents. Uh, the, 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 the three presidents prior to Zeif had all used him as a consultant in various century things. 
the problem with Zeif was Zeif was the only president who never actually listened to him. Um, and when the Dominion War actually started, they basically kicked him out and told him to go back to Mars and teach. He, he was always a college professor. That was, that was always his, uh, his calling. But, um, but his, his, he had an extensive background working in politics as an advisor and as a consultant um, doing exactly this sort of thing um, until the Dominion War, basically. And, and, uh, and then the, finally, President Baco actually, you know, called him. They, they hadn't prior to this because they didn't think he'd be interested. Um, but, uh, but they bring him in, yes, to talk to Dinatra. Um, uh, one, one of my favorite things that I did was actually break up the Romulan Empire, which I thought was a, a natural consequence of what Shenzhen did. Um, and, and I was always kind of disappointed that they just wound up putting them back together again. But, uh, uh, it, I thought it, it made for an interesting dynamic, uh, and, and having Talara and Donatra facing off against each other like that. Um, so I thought that was a good in to, to bring Sonic back, uh, into the fold from a, from a story perspective. And like I said, from a, from a, a writer's perspective, there, there wasn't an existing character who was exactly this sort of person. I, I wanted somebody who was a civilian, first of all, of which there are very few in the Star Trek universe that we see on a regular basis. Um, and I mean, I could, there, there, there may have been a diplomatic character I could have used, but not that many really. I mean, Spock pretty much is, I, I, I could have done this with Spock, but I thought, I didn't think that would really work. Yeah, um, he's overused, there's, there's too much baggage so there. Much. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and Worf is back in Starfleet at this point, so you know it's either that, that leaves me with basically Loxana Troy or somebody new, and um, uh, or or somebody. Um, there may have been one or two one-off characters I could have used, but I wanted to create one. And also, uh, in particular, this character was based partly on um, uh, the folk singer Arlo Guthrie, uh, mm-hmm. as well as Pete Seeger and a few other people. Um, and and his his speech patterns are very much Arlo's speech patterns. Um, Arlo Guthrie is actually a Star Trek fan, so I, I did this in the hopes that he would enjoy it. I have no idea if he's read it or even, yeah. I mean, I, I sent him an email saying, Hey, I wrote this book with the guy based on you in it, and I don't know if he read it or not. But, <laughs> but, uh, Arlo Guthrie has been a hero of mine since I was a little kid, and, uh, that, that's, that's why he's got the music background, and, um, and, and, and again, like I said, his, his, uh, his speech patterns are, are very much patterned on Arlo Guthrie's speech patterns. He plays the banjo, his daughter's into music. That's, yeah. that's a Pete Seeger thing is the banjo, but yes. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, Pete Seeger also is one who was always big on using, uh, using music and using songs to bring people together. Um, uh, which is why I had the jam session on the Aventine, which is one of my favorite scenes that I've ever written. Um, and and Pete Seeger is the one who uh, brought the uh, there's a uh, the uh, song Estadio in Chile which uh, is in there about uh, uh, Victor Hara, uh, which is a real that's a real song real story. Victor Hara was an actual uh, historical figure in in uh, Chile in the late sixties early seventies, and um, uh, and I thought his story was was particularly inspirational in 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 light of the Borg attack and. Um, and Pete Seeger was the one who brought that that particular song uh, to the world back in '72. Uh, so um, that that was, and, and I just think, like I said, music is is has always been something that brings people together. It's hard to write about music in prose because you don't have any audio, <laughs> but I tried my best. Yeah, I tried to sing one of the songs. I just made it up. 
I got to make a lot of old school fans happy because I threw in a reference to Ban from Argo, which I thought was very important. <laughs> nice. Ban, Ban from Argo being a classic old Star Trek folk, folk song. So. Well, and then when you're writing a character like this, I thought it was interesting that he really wasn't affected by the Borg. I mean, everybody has been affected, but he didn't really have any, you know, he was on Earth, he was safe, or actually on Mars or whatever, but, yeah. he, you know, he, he didn't lose family because of the Borg. He didn't, so I, he didn't really have that kind of loss going into this. He later has some loss, but not yeah. related to the Borg. Well, somewhat related. And even just speaking as, uh, you know, a fan of, of Star Trek and, and how long it's been around and, and that kind of thing, I think it's really cool that this is a type of character that we've never seen before as well. I think he refers to himself as a quadroon at one point. Which, which was a complete misuse of that term on my part. I screwed that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, ha- having said that, it's also 400 years later, so the, the, the term could have very easily evolved as these terms sometimes do. And that's, that's, that is now my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> what um, does that term mean now? What, why it, what, is it it actually, what it actually means is somebody who is, who is um, one quarter of one race and three quarters another. Um, oh, okay. So. Uh, well, yeah, I, I screwed it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. In in a few hundred years, they they use it differently. It could very it easily have changed its meaning. Um, and and that, like I said, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, because <laughs> the alternative is to admit in public that I screwed up, which I did, but still, um, my no prize is is to say that well, in four hundred. But yeah, he's, we haven't seen anybody who has, although, but there's no reason why we shouldn't at this point. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, if we've already broken the dam, uh, which was broken when Star Trek debuted and we had Spock, who was half human and half alien, um, uh, why not? <laughs> uh, we, we've seen lots of people who are a melding of two species. It makes perfect sense that there would be ones who are a melding of three or four. Um, there's no reason why not. Um, if, if, if the, the, the medical technology is there to allow for such things. Uh, it only makes sense that you'd, you'd get even more mixed species, uh, than, than, than what we've, we've seen in, you know, your spots and your Bolanas and, and so on. So we have him on a shuttle pod and, or shuttlecraft, and he's going to go meet with Donatra. And, uh, after that, he decides he wants to go somewhere else. So he gives orders to the two officers there and they follow it. And of course, then, you know, Captain Dax calls them out on it later. Yeah. It's like, why did they listen to him? I mean, they should know better He's to say, no, we have convincing. to follow orders. He's very, that, because that's what his talent his, is. His he superpower. Talk to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the whole, the whole point. Um, and, and, and it's something that probably, that probably wouldn't have worked at a different time. Um, it, one, I mean, one of the things is in the aftermath of a crisis like this, people are very rarely thinking rationally. I'm, I'm thinking in particular of what life was like in the fall of 2001, particularly here in New York, um, uh, after after the Twin Towers were knocked over. The, there's a certain, and, and I'm particularly now looking back at the way we were all behaving in late 2001 and in 2002, uh, we, a lot of decisions that were just stupid <laughs> people made um, because it was the aftermath of trauma. And, and that was really my rationale there was that, you know, any other time there is no circumstance under which um, the two officers would have listened to a civilian like that. But then again, in any the other situation, Sonic wouldn't have asked, wouldn't have even made the request in the first place either. Um, 
it was, it was, and I'm not sure how well that, that pulled off, but the idea there was that, you know, in, in the aftermath of a crisis, you know, a lot of mores and rules and typical behaviors go out the window. Mm, yeah. And you were thinking nine 11 while you were writing yeah, this. I'm sorry. I should have been specific. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, that makes sense because this was, you know, well after that and you lived there in New York when this was yep. taking place. So, yeah. but now it's also interesting with this character because he's got this superpower of talking I, I, to I, I'm calling it that. It's not really a superpower. I know. Just, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody who's listening to this that's read the book knows that it's not a superpower, but we're calling right, it right. a superpower. But yeah. no, he has this talent. He has this talent yeah. that he can talk to people and he's very good at uh, diplomacy and convincing people to do things, but every superhero has their weakness. And even with his power, he does not have a good relationship with his son. He cannot seem to do with his son what he does with other people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which was deliberate. I was trying to make him, you know, I was trying to give, I, I didn't want him to be flawless. Um, and, and, and that would, to some extent that was, you know, his, his basically commandeer all but commandeering a shuttle and going off on his own was also to show that he's not completely flawless because he shouldn't have done that. Um, yes, he was apologizing. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that aspect of him felt very real to me. Like I, 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 I generally get along really well with my dad, but there comes a point where we spend a certain amount of time together, and like no matter what one of us says, the other one takes it the wrong way, and we end up getting ticked off at each other. And that, like, I, I felt that when he was saying, like, I can't seem to talk to him without, you know, losing my cool or, or whatever, and and it going south within five minutes and that felt very real I, I i thought that was a really interesting aspect to his character cool i'm glad is, is that <laughs> is that because father and sons have more difficult time you think than uh, fathers have with it, i mean it's and i don't think it's it's gender specific you know uh, it's uh, some people you know i mean there, there are I, I, I've seen it in, in several cases in my own family where, you know, a parent has four kids and they only really understand three of them. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and you know, there's one kid where, where the, the parent and the child can't get along and it's not, it, 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 like I said, it's not gender specific, really. I've, I've seen it in, in many different directions um, where, where the, you just, you don't get each other. <laughs> um and and just because you're related doesn't mean you're necessarily going to completely understand each other or be able to get along with each other. So, mm -hmm. and 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 Sonic and I have just you know can't get on the same page there. You know, it happens. So now this is the cool thing also about this book is because you said you did articles of the Federation, you thought that would probably be it, and then Nan Bako is used, and some of those characters are used in the Destiny trilogy, and now you got to revisit these characters once again. This was the second time for you to use these characters is that correct well third really because there was a time for a time for peace oh that's uh, right that's true, when yeah. when when she when she was running for president and then got elected uh and then articles and then and then this um so third time really with 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 baco and with several of the characters including uh esperanza pinero and a couple of others but um but yeah uh the the and, and there were several characters from articles who, who came back as well several counselors and, and staff members and such um so that was nice uh, and, and a couple characters and there were, and, and there were a couple characters that, um, uh, that were actually, uh, uh, other characters created like, uh, Dave Mack, uh, a couple that he established in, uh, a time to kill and a time to heal, uh, that I used in both that I would then I used in articles. And then again, in, uh, in a singular destiny, um, 
the uh, Tholian ambassador to Zreen was Day's creation. Um, a couple others. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, it was fun. It was. It was. I was. I was happy. To, I was. I'm always happy to write. Manbako, uh, you know, I, I jumped at that. I, I had to, you know, like rein myself in and not make her the main character because she was the supporting character. That was that was the important thing. This was I did not I was not doing articles two here. Um, the the story was bigger than that. She was she was supposed to be a supporting character in this. Um, uh, I mean, I I could very easily have just you know you you mentioned before an existing character. The existing character could have been Nanbako, but she's the president. She's got eight hundred million other things to do. Um, this is the sort of thing that that somebody would bring to her attention, but it's not something she would discover on her own. This, this, it needed somebody who would basically be at large in a way the president can't be. Um, so, I mean, that was part of the point was, was Sonic seeing the, seeing the larger pattern, uh, out there. I, I think sometimes, and, and I, I just recalled this after having read this, I think as readers in Star Trek, sometimes we feel this, um, small universe syndrome a little bit, and I love that there were a few moments in this book that remind the readers that, like, not every person in the Federation has intimate knowledge of all the things that somebody watching Star Trek does. Like, uh, when when it was brought to her attention that Captain Dax had this uh, relationship with the Klingons and with Martok, and, oh, she's a member of yeah. the House of Martok? How'd that happen? Oh, cool. Okay, we, right. we can use that. You know, I, I love those little, uh, you know, not everybody's... Intimate, intimately familiar with Worf and his adventures and Dax and all these people. Right. When, when I remember getting into an argument with two different people uh, when Relics aired back back in the early 90s. Um, because people, th- these were two people, longtime Star Trek fans, who were complaining about the fact that basically the crew did not give Scotty enough reverence. They should have been respecting them. I was like, no, they shouldn't because they're not people who watch Star Trek. They're just people in the world. This is just some old guy. You know, um, right. you know the, 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 the rest of the Star Trek universe does not view the Star Trek characters as the main characters in the TV show. They view them as people on a ship doing the same job that doing, just doing a job. Um, they're just people. The, the, Treating him with reverence is how a Star Trek fan would treat them. Treating him with annoyance at him being a pain in the ass is how LaForge <laughs> should treat him. Um, because he was being a pain in the ass. Um, it, it, yeah, the, 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 it's, it's a larger universe. And, and the nature of this, t- of, of dramatic fiction is that you tend to focus on your main characters, even an ensemble piece. Um, so, uh, but one of the joys of science fiction in particular and fantasy also is that you, you've created a world um, that is different from the world we live in. So it's, it's good to look at the larger picture of how life is, how the rest of the galaxy is affected by all this stuff. Definitely. Well, this is something that's come up earlier in our discussion, but I kind of want to delve into this um, head first now. And that's, of course, the formation of the Typhon Pact. And uh, Bruce yeah. and I were actually talking on the other side of the page, and we both, when we were reading this 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 second time, we'd both forgotten this is where the Typhon Pact gets introduced. And I think, yeah. like, early on, those little seeds start getting planted. And I think it was when you mentioned that the Kinshaya ships had the breed weapons installed. I went, oh, my God, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> So this idea, yeah, that was, I mean, that was part of the point that was that, that, that part of it was developed jointly by me and Marco Palmieri. That was the Marco wanted in, in general to set up 
an adversary, at the very least, not, uh, not an antagonist, but an adversary for the Federation. Somebody, you know, basically a coalition that was not part of the Federation and was opposed to the Federation in many ways, but we're also doing the same sort of cooperative thing that the world of the Federation and that the Klingons do. Um, basically allying for a common purpose um, in, in, in the wake of this rather nasty tragedy that affected everybody. Um, but they don't want to be part of the Federation because they all have an animus toward the Federation, but the idea of being cooperative is still one that is appealing. Um, so that's what they do, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and it just seemed like, it seemed like a, uh, a nifty idea. And we, you know, he and I, he and I had lunch together and we just figured out, you know, okay, who's going to be part of this? How are we going to do this? So on and so forth. And one of the things that was important to me was to have, uh, the two, uh, only one of the two Romulan uh, states be part of it. Um, cause I thought that would be much more interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we went back and forth as to whether we were going to include the Gorn or not. And we decided to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, a couple others, you know, we debated and then we finally, you know, settled on the ones we settled on, which we felt that they'd be a good, you know, it would, it would make for a more entertaining, uh, set of bad guys. Um, and, and, and of course, one of the things I got to do in this was basically develop the Kinshaya who had been first mentioned in John M. Ford's The Final Reflection. Uh, and there've been references to them since then, uh, most of them by me, but, uh, <laughs> but a few other people as well. Um, but nobody had ever actually established what the Kinshaya were. Uh, Ford, uh, Mike Ford did, did establish, an, uh, I think they worked with Facet to establish something for the Kinshaya for the Facet role-playing game. Um, I decided not to do that just because I, I, it worked for the role-playing game, but I didn't think it would work dramatically. I, I wanted to do something a little different um, and basically made them insectoid religious fanatics because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, and the final reflection is actually referred to in the book too they mentioned the yeah because it was a work it's it's a work of fiction in 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 the star trek universe so i figured what right. the hell right <laughs> oh man sorry this is a total tangent but i actually highlighted the line when they're talking about all the different uh klingon novels and one of them was like a set of novels based on the battlecruiser vengeance series who the heck would read serial fiction based on an entertainment show? Ah, that's ridiculous or yeah. something like that. That was, I, 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 I could not resist writing that <laughs> line and I was thought for sure. Marco was going to make me cut it. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was, I there. could not resist the shot. That was just, it was too good. And of course they're battlecruiser vengeance novels. I mean, why not? <laughs> you know what I thought was really interesting because yeah, I read this book back in the day when it first came out, which now that I think about what we said, it's 2009 it's 10 years. Well, now, well, now 11, 11, 11 now. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was okay. the beginning of 2009. It came out the either January, or February, 2009. So yeah. So, so it's 11, 11 years. years. Okay. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> right. And then it's, you know, and then we had the Typhon pack books and everything else yeah. we've had since. So it's interesting going back and reading this it's to me it it it's kind of surprising that this came up then because after we go through this whole thing with the borg and all this devastation and now this is the aftermath of that and there's all this cleanup and all this devastation that people have to put their lives back together and you'd almost think this is a time in the federation that things would be uplifting because the borg are gone now you know we're saddened that people died but now it's time to rebuild and start a new chapter. And then this Typhon pack just starts like 
being formed and it's like another threat or potential threat to the Federation. And I can understand Nan Bacco wanting to go in a time machine and stop herself from being president and dealing with because it's one thing after another and yeah. it's like whoa this is kind of heavy <laughs> you know yeah i mean it, 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 it i mean it's part of the nature of, of dramatic fiction you've got to come up with things for the people to deal with um you know extended periods of peace don't always make for good fiction um but uh it it and like i said it, it just felt like a natural outgrowth uh, and, and I really, and I, both Marco and I were really tickled by the idea of, you know, of basically a bunch of different species and nations doing what the Federation does, but without the Federation being part of it, you know, that, that level of cooperation. One of the reasons why the Federation is as strong as it is, is that it's got equal contributions from everybody. Um, you know, you got 150 different worlds working together and that can be very powerful. Uh, in in the best possible way, um, because it's co because it's cooperative, um, and you know the idea of having you know the Romulans, the Corn, you know the Tholians, and so on, you know all getting together and and doing their own version of it, uh, sort of you know the Funhouse Mirror version of the Federation, uh, we thought would be fun to play with, um, and then of course Marco got laid off and. They didn't hire me to write any Typhon books, so we got to create it and then do absolutely nothing with it, either of us, but uh, such is life. Um, but it's still, it was the fodder for lots and lots of really cool stories by a bunch of different people in the next few years, so mm -hmm. it worked out. Which uh, actually brings me to the kind of last point I wanted to talk about here, which is kind of the legacy of what you guys created here. And, uh, you know, like we've said, it's been over 10 years since the novel's been published. And I feel like this really left its mark on the world of Treklet. And I was kind of wondering if you might speak to what you feel the legacy of this novel has been and uh, how it's impacted the Star Trek stories told that came after it. Well, I think it was, I mean, it's continuing the work that, that, that I did in the articles as well, which is to just show one of the things that always frustrated me. Uh, and one of the reasons why I, uh, I wrote articles in the first place was um, we never really got to see the Federation government. It's always Starfleet doing all the work on behalf of, of the Federation rather than, you know, Starfleet being a part of, you know, an arm of the Federation. It was always seen to be acting almost unilaterally, which I, I didn't think was really fair, especially because we got so much, we got so much detailed looks at the Klingon government, at the Romulan government, at the Karasian government, the Bajoran government. Uh, but we never really got much of a look at the Federation government that theoretically should be, you know, in charge of Starfleet, really. You know, we didn't get past the Admiralty. And for the most part, you don't need to, you know. Um, it really only bugged me in things like the Dominion War um, and a couple of other situations where, where there, was, there should have been more of a political component to it just because of the nature of, of what was going on. Um, I, so I think having that both you know, in the Articles of the Federation, the aspect of it that, that Dave brought into Destiny as well, that was a major part of it, and what I did in, in A Singular Destiny, was to just bring the Federation civilian government more into a certain sense of prominence in what's going on in the galaxy, because it would, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, the nature of a Star Trek story is that the, the, the Starfleet characters are going to be the focus, which makes sense. But one of the advantages of, of a series of novels is that you, you're not limited by 
doing a 44 minute episode or a 42 minute episode or whatever. Um, you've got more storytelling space so you can show the wider impact and the wider support that Starfleet would have. Um, and, and I think, you know, a singular destiny was part of the opening up of the Federation government to that, which got then used quite a bit uh, in the Tyson Pack stories and, and beyond, uh, and in the Fall Benny series and so on. Um, so I think I think that was that was the main thing it did was was give us a more uh, make make making the entirety the Federation the entirety of the Federation more a part of what Starfleet's doing than it was before, which I think is good. I think it, it, it works better. And it also mm-hmm. just helped. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the advantages at the time we were doing this, you know, basically until they announced the Picard series, the 24th century was completely fair, was completely free. It was, you know, all, all the new Star Trek between 2001 and now <laughs> has been either in the 22nd or the 23rd century. Uh, the 24th century had been completely abandoned by the by the screen uh, iterations of Star Trek, so we were really and and the direction and a lot of the direction that the fiction took. I mean, honestly, it was uh, I, I give most of the credit to the A Time Too miniseries uh, for for sort of setting everything up uh, for both Nemesis and then what happened after Nemesis, because that was, that was the completely open field after that. Cause that was the farthest forward the timeline had gone. Um, so it, it, I think the impact it had was just continuing the work that we'd already started in a time to, and that, um, the destiny trilogy basic, uh, went to get even further. Um, and just continuing the aftermath of that and, and everything that has been done since is sort of built off of what Dave did in the destiny trilogy, you know, first cleaning up after, after destiny and, and then dealing with the Typhon pact and then the fall and then cold equations and so on. Um, you know, and all the different, uh, stuff that's been going on with, with the section 31 stuff that Dave and Dayton have been doing and, and so on. It's, it's all continued very nicely and you know and what una and david george have done on deep with the deep space nine stories moving forward so it, it it helped shape the fiction you know or continue the direction the fiction already been going in um which has been great you know i mean it, it, and you know it, it it's it's pretty much gonna have to come to an end now because the picard show is gonna you know kick it all to the curb but that's fine. You know, this is what, this is what happens with Thai fiction. You know, <laughs> uh, every, every, every new iteration of Star Trek will come along and mess up what we did before. Um, well, don't you feel like you want to call Kirsten Beyer and say, Hey, come on, you were part of this with us. Why didn't you try to keep saying that's, not, this how, that's not how the business works. And Kirsten knows that as well. Better than anybody. Um, the, you're not going to tell Patrick Stewart that he can't do something he wants to do because of somebody, something somebody wrote in a book that only less than 1% of the audience read. Um, and that's the thing. Tie in fiction reaches well, less than 10% at the very least. The, 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 the best selling tie in novel reaches less than 10% of the worst rated episode of a TV show. Um, it's, you know, it's just, there's no comparison. Um, and nobody, and there's too much money in Hollywood, uh, flying around for anybody there to give a rat's patoot about what we're doing in a bunch of novels. It's just not, it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's the tail wagging the dog. 
Um, and it's fine. I don't, you know, yes. I mean, we know going in that the novels are, are not the main part of the story and, and are telling supplemental stories that may get overwritten later. Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the nature of the beast. I don't stress about what's real in a fictional construct. Um, you know, the, I mean, how many different versions of Sherlock Holmes have we gotten over the last 15 years? You know, all mm-hmm. of which are incompatible with each other and all of which are completely incompatible with what Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote. And yet they're all popular. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is tie-in fiction. You know? <laughs> um, that's Sorry, not the yeah. original source material. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is basically derivative fiction based on the comic books. People still go see those movies. Um, well, yeah, even uh, The Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland's tie-in fiction to the exactly. original story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an adaptation. Um, these uh, stories get modified with time and again it's fiction um, i'm not worried about it i i didn't worry about it when first contact overwrote federation federation is still a great novel first contact is still a great movie they don't they're not compatible with each other but who cares <laughs> they're 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 both tell good stories that still work in the universe in the star trek universe absolutely um, so yeah i mean i mean i i'm i'm thrilled that the fact that the fiction has basically since 2001, uh, pretty much been able to do what it wants of the 21st, 24th century. Um, and especially since 2004, once, once nemesis, once it was clear nemesis was it, um, at least for, at least until now. <laughs> but having said that, I, I, as far as I know, and again, I'm not, I'm not directly involved anymore, but, uh, the, as far as I know, there is a plan, um, to basically bring, the 24th century continuity to a a satisfying close. the The idea is to not just pull a Disney and just go, "Sorry, these are gone now," and uh, but to actually like tie everything off and then move forward, yeah. you know, with with stuff that's actually that's based on what's been on screen. So there there is, I'm told, and 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 again, I this is not inside knowledge of any sort. This is just what I've what I've heard because again, Dave is one of my best friends, and Dave Ward is a close friend of mine, and Lots of other people who are actually friends of mine. So I know the plans are afoot, but I know nothing's completely solid yet either. Uh, but there is a plan to actually, you know, uh, make this all work um, one way or another. Because I, I, it's, 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 I think it's a better approach. I think, I think I kind of wish Disney had done the same thing, although I understand why they didn't either. Um, it, it's not just, you know, consign it all to, to the cornfield, as it were. Um, but to you know, to at least give something to the people who have invested in it for the last twenty years, uh, give them some you know closure on that particular storyline uh, before we. And in the meantime, there's going to be stuff that ties into the Picard series as well. So, Rue McCormick's got a prequel novel that, uh, if it's not out yet, it will be soon. Um, and and they're going to be doing more fiction based on that as well. So. Yep. Yeah, it's you know it was such a small audience reading the books. It's almost like you could continue that continuity because you you have a loyal audience but then you have a new audience looking to come in so you don't want to confuse them and exactly mm. yeah it it i mean the 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 screen versions of trek are what lead the way that's that's what well, that's what the fiction is based on um and to do otherwise is to basically ignore it uh and and you know especially if the picard show proves incredibly popular um that would be even harder to do you know? yeah so mm-hmm. So I do. I do have a quick question, though. Going back to a singular destiny, the cover. Um, we don't always talk about the covers on here, but this was done by Alan Digman, 
Yeah. And it's like puzzle pieces. There's like a city in the background, cityscape, and then there's these puzzle pieces with like a nebula. Like, what's what's the inspiration? Like, do you know how? I have absolutely cover? no idea. I had nothing to do with that cover. <laughs> so you never talk to the cover artists, or uh, I do sometimes. Uh, sometimes, I'm, and because I have a background in cover design, because when I my when I was working for uh, Byron Price in the '90s, I was very much involved in the cover designs of the books I edited. Um, I edited a, a whole bunch of things, and I was and I did a lot of of design work, and not direct design work, but but art direction. Uh, and working with art directors and working with artists and, and working on, on that stuff. So I have some experience in this, uh, how much, but also, honestly, I had no, I mean, one of the reasons I, Marco and, and Alan and the art department at pocket worked out that cover, but part of the problem is I had no frapping clue what to do with that cover for that book. I didn't, I mean, it's, cause it's, it's such an atypical book. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I didn't, I didn't know. And I was grateful when I saw the cover cause I'm glad somebody freaking thought of something cause I didn't have any clue. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I, I think it works because, you know, the idea of in particular, the puzzle pieces, I think is, is a good metaphor for what is happening in the book. It's, it's basically putting together, it's not like putting together what's happening in the galaxy from all these little clues going around. Um, so I think, um, I think that was that was a nice metaphor for what the book is doing, um, you know. It, but I, I in this particular case, I didn't. I unfortunately did not. Have <laughs> Wish I had. Well, you did a great job at not influencing the cover. So there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, the other thing I was just thinking because you were talking earlier about you know having lunch and talking about the book and all that stuff. Yeah, we, every time we have authors on it usually comes up of them having lunch with an editor. And I'm just thinking, is there a particular spot in New York where this is going on? Cause I want to like sit in and listen in. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it only, it only happens if the editor, if you happen to be, I mean, I'm in New York and so are pockets offices. So <laughs> that made it easier. So then saying that I would ask then if you have anything new, Star Trek or non Star Trek related that you've had lunch with editors or not had lunch with editors <laughs> that you have coming out soon. Uh, nothing I can really talk about quite yet. Um, well, uh, that's not true. Uh, I've got, um, uh, I'm working on a bunch of different things, uh, right now. One of which is the next, uh, precinct book, uh, my original, uh, novel series, the, uh, the precinct book. The next one is called uh, Phoenix precinct. Uh, I'm also working on the um, next book in my urban fantasy series, which does not have a title yet. Uh, the series does. The series, The Adventures of Brown Gold. Uh, and the next book, uh, have the plot for it. I just got to sit down and write it. Um, that's the same thing with Phoenix Precinct. I'm hoping to have those out in either 2020 or 2021, depending on how quickly I can write them. Uh, currently, I am working on... Uh, a collaborative science fiction novel. Uh, it's nothing named David Sherman, who's written a great deal of uh, military science fiction. David wrote uh, two books in a science fiction, military science fiction series called The 18th Race. Uh, first two books are uh, Issue in Doubt and In All Directions. The third book is going to be called To Hell and Regroup. And David, unfortunately, has been unable to finish the book on his own. Uh, David uh, was a Marine in Vietnam. Uh, and as he's gotten older, it's gotten harder and harder for him to actually write military action. It's it's kind of triggering his PTSD a little bit from from those experiences. So I edited the first two books 
for at the time Dark Quest Books. It's now being published by uh, East Tech Books. Um, and so uh, David asked me to basically take what he'd written of book three, which is uh, some chapters and, and an outline for the rest of the book, and to, to finish the book uh, for him. So that's going to be a collaboration between me and him. So I'm working on that right now. We're hoping to have that out in the spring of 2020 uh, called To Hell and Regroup. And uh, I'm working on another project that's just still too early to talk about. And on another tie-in project that I can't really talk about yet, uh, which is a tie-in to a, a game. And uh, the next two pre- the pre- next precinct book, and I've got another precinct book after that under contract. I've got another Brown Gold book after that under contract. So that, that's going to be keeping me busy for a while. Um, I'd like to do another Alien book. Um, I'd like to do a sequel to Alien Isolation, which came out this year, but I don't know what's happening there one way or the other. Um, I'm hoping that, that Alien Isolation did well enough that they'll want another book featuring Amanda Ripley. Um, but I don't know. On top of everything else, Disney just bought Fox right before the book came out. So who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it, it could have no effect <laughs> at all uh, on, the, on the Alien novels. It could have a tremendous effect. It could have a medium effect. We don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm supposed to have... Uh, I can actually write it. Uh, a short story in Michael Jan Friedman's uh, shared world anthology called Tangaya. Uh, he's doing the third uh, anthology in that series from Crazy Eight Press. Uh, um, I've got a story. In, I'm going to have a story in that that's hopefully going to be out in time in around uh, the summer of 2020. Um, meanwhile, I am uh, still going to be reviewing the new episodes of the various new Star Trek series for Tor.com. Um, the uh, I'll be reviewing each episode of Picard as it comes out. I'll be reviewing the last of the short tracks when it hits, and when Discovery season three starts, I'll be reviewing that for them as well. Um, I I am almost finished on Tor.com. I've been doing um, my my great superhero movie rewatch, which has been every live action movie based on a superhero comic book. I'm almost caught up to real time now. So <laughs> um, the uh, January sixth is going to be. Uh, not January 6th, January 4th, excuse me, um, is going to be, or January 3rd, I can't do dates, uh, brain is not working. January 3rd is going to be um, Men in Black International, January 10th will be uh, Dark Phoenix, and then um, January 17th will be Joker. Hmm. And that's it. There are no more superhero movies anymore because I'll I'll have done all of them at that point. Um, I'm probably going to continue that as an annual feature where at the end of the year, I will look back on that year's superhero movies. I mean, 2020 alone is going to have, you know, uh, Black Widow and uh, uh, Wonder Woman 84 and uh, another Kingsman movie, a bunch of others. So um, the Harley Quinn, uh, the Harley Quinn uh, Birds of Prey movie. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of things that are coming out, but I, I'll look at them when uh, at the end of the year. Meantime, I have a new thing I'm going to be doing for Tor.com, but I'm not going to be announcing it formally until after this podcast goes live, so I can't tell you what it is yet. I can tell you to keep an eye on, uh, I believe, right around when the Joker rewatch hits, uh, I, will, um, I will be announcing uh, what the new thing I'll be doing for Tor.com is. Uh, oh, new weekly exciting. Or regular thing. For them, <laughs> but you, you, so I'm, I'm still going to be writing for them, and I'm still going to be doing other stuff as well. I'll be, I'll be, I've been doing a lot of writing for Tor, um, and uh, I'm going to continue doing that. I'm still writing stuff for my Patreon as well. Uh, I do regular TV and movie reviews there. Uh, I do little excerpts from my works in progress, and uh, I also have been writing uh, vignettes featuring my original characters. 
Um, oh, that's the other thing I'm working on. I totally forgot about that. Uh, I am working on four new novellas in the Super City Cops series, which is about cops in a city filled with superheroes. Uh, I've done a, uh, one novel and three novellas in that uh, series already, and a couple short stories. Uh, and um, uh, False Staff Books is going to be publishing four new novellas in that setting as well. So I've got that coming. So I, I'm I'm keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you're really busy. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm hoping I've actually I've actually um, I, I don't have currently have any new Star Trek fiction uh, in the works, but I have been talking with IDW um, right now. It's just talking. Uh, it may come to nothing, but but there are some ideas floating around that may or may not become Star Trek comics in the future. We'll see. Ooh, excellent. Keeping my fingers crossed on that front. That's cool. Yes. Me too. There's one, there's one thing in particular that I've pitched at them that at least is possible. And I really, really want to do it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. I, I hear the enthusiasm. So, you know, I, I, I love that. I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, if anybody wants to follow you online, where would they go? Uh, best bet is to go to dekenzado.net, which is a very primitive looking link dump. Um, it, it looks like it was designed by somebody who learned HTML in 1996. That's because I learned HTML in 1996. <laughs> um, but it, it serves its purpose, which is to find, basically it's a guide to all the methods of cyber stalking me. Um, it has links to my uh, ordering links for my most recent uh, fiction. There's an email link there and there's links to all my social media, blog, Facebook page, Twitter feed, Instagram account, Wikipedia, to my stuff on tour.com um, and uh, all that good stuff. So, uh, oh, one more thing I didn't mention that I'm working on because you can still support it. Um, I did a crowdfund for two new short stories in both the precinct and my my Key West urban fantasy stories featuring a woman named Cassie Zukov. There's two stories. It's been funded, but Indiegogo, I did it through Indiegogo. And if you make your funding with Indiegogo, you can still continue to support it after the funding period ends. So if you want to get the story, you can still go to Indiegogo. Um, there's a link to it uh, on decandido.net. Uh, and for two stories, one is called the Gorvangan Rampages, which is a story that takes place between Griffin Precinct and Mermaid Precinct. And uh, a Cassie Zukov story called Ragnarok in a Hard Place, <laughs> which is uh, a story involving uh, Norse gods creating trouble. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, and, and if you want to support, those are only, initially at least, will only be available to the crowdfund supporters, but you can still go and support it, um, even though the funding, and that, that'll be, I'll be doing that uh, in the early part of this year. Wow, Excellent. you really are doing like you. You really just need to go outside and like see the sun at some point. <laughs> I do. I do see the sun. That's I go good. out. I teach. I also, I also teach karate to kids three days a week, and I take classes at the dojo. So at the very least, I go out and do that. Um, <laughs> oh, that's cool. And and my wife and I went to see. There's a that we're, we're members of um, all the zoos in New York: the Bronx Zoo and there's the Central Park Zoo, the Prospect Park Zoo, and the Queen Zoo and the New York Aquarium. It's all they're all under the same. Uh, they're all run by the same people by the wildlife conservation society. And we're members of that. We're members of a bunch of different museums and botanical gardens here in New York. So, and we, we try to make sure we make, we like make time every once in a while to just go out and do something, <laughs> um, uh, either at one of those places or elsewhere, just to, you know, get us out of the house. Cause my wife is freelance also. So we both work from home and, uh, and it's good to just, you know, get our butts out there periodically. Absolutely. You got to get some exercise and do something different, you know? Well, yeah. Well, like I said, I go to the dojo a lot. So the exercise. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention wrangling small children, but, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us. And, you know, we're going to have to have you back when we read one of your other novels. Sometime. Uh, I'd be okay with that. So, all right. <laughs> all right.
Awesome. Thanks a lot. I love that Keith mentioned that he learned HTML in 1996 because I think I did too. And like when I look at websites nowadays and I'm trying to think every once in a while, the thought just pops into my head. Oh, I could add frames to this. You remember frames? Weren't frames amazing? Wow. That is so nineties. I am. Yeah, no, not good. Wow. No, I, yeah, I didn't really get into it like you guys did, but man, I remember it was late 95 when I first signed on to the internet and I'll never forget (laughs) that. No, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. It was late 94 when I signed to the internet. Yeah. But wow. What a great thing that was. Well, it's been fun talking about being online today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you might find somewhere else here on the network called Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, continuing mission. Why they killed that officer, what they have to do with Project Perseus. Can I just, can I just throw my... Two cents worth in and say, I I know who they are. They're Smurfs. Oh, if only. From the planet Smurfia. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm right. (laughs) If you insist. Sure. You're right. You're right. You're not. But I'll tell you. Oh, no. I've ruined it. I've ruined it for everybody. (laughs) So... um, yeah, that's the first mystery, and then a series of other mysteries happen as it becomes clear that it, on at least one other of the visionary class ships that have now they're now well on their way outside Federation space, that there was a saboteur. Mm. Earl Grey. But he also he you know the first day of shooting, I shook his hand and I said, Mister Nimoy, you seem to think I I know what I'm doing here but I like really don't. And he had said, he had said to me in the, in the, in the audition for the Vulcan uh, um, mystique, think 1000 years of wisdom behind the eyes. And I thought, Oh my goodness, that's a tall order. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to to put in the eyes. (laughs) Literary treks. We're not messing around anymore. The reset button is gone. Characters lives are going to move forward. Fortunes are going to change. When things happen, you can take it seriously. It's not all just going to get forgotten by the time the next book comes out next month. This is going to be something that is going to carry forward and is going to have lasting repercussions on all of the literary books, not just the ones written by Mac, not just the ones in this particular subseries, but by joining them all together and having nods to the Star Trek Corps of Engineers, to Voyager, to DS9, to Enterprise. Standard Orbit. We've had some some various uh, folks and you know uh, guest star roles and things that had passed here and there, um, you know, the last year or so, um, and and all of that is sad. But when when somebody who was really a part of the foundation of what Star Trek is and what it became, it really hits you kind of hard. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond, and you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And if you have the time, we'd really appreciate it if you leave us a star rating and a written review. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show. If you're not an Apple user, though, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trek fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek fm to get all the details perks include early access to episodes exclusive content producer credits and more available through our special patrons website patron zone it requires a great deal of money to produce hosts and distribute these shows each month and we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team again you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek fm We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. Of course, at the top of the show, you heard us responding to listener feedback from the Babel conference, and that really is the best way to make your thoughts known. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email here on the show, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to me and Bruce. You can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have a bookshelves with all our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you know what is coming up for future shows. Plus, Great conversations happening about the books and comics. Just search for Literary Treks and Goodreads and click Join Group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shamutala, Justin Ozer, Jeffrey Harlan, and Casey Pettit for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. So Dan, when you're not trying to put the universe back together after a Borg attack, where can people find you? Well, you can find me uh, trying to put those pieces together and tweeting about it on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I have a channel dedicated mostly to Star Trek, but I talk about other science fiction and other things as well. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook.com slash Productions and on Treklet.com, which is my website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Now, Bruce, when you're not traveling around with the traveling medicine show entertaining people all across the Federation, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm in there all the time. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me on the Star Wars Report talking about Star Wars. And that's about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's our last line. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. Bam, 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 bam.
<laughs> what you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. You guys didn't even ask about like the SCE and Gorkon parts of the of the story. I, you know what, I was mm. going, I, I was going to ask about the SCE, and then I forgot. Because <laughs> <laughs> the ma- the main character on the Musgrave that I did, uh, Hajik, that is totally um, Zelenka from Stargate Atlantis. Oh, I can see it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I basically, I wanted to put Zelenka in the Star Trek universe, and that's that's who Bojan Hajik is. Yeah. Oh, that's great. 